The following message was recorded at Christ Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.ccbartlett.org. We have uh, been talking about Messy Church. That's our series. We've been going through the book of Ephesians together, um, looking at uh, just the reality of church. It's a messy place because churches are filled with real people and people are messy. Tom Rayner is the president of Lifeway. Uh, he has a blog that I like, to, I like to read. He's written some really, really great books about the church. And one of his blog posts is called The 25 Really Weird Things Said to Pastors and Other Church Leaders. And these are quotes that he took just from his experience talking to other pastors and church leaders. These are things that people actually said to their pastor. I'm sure Brother John, over all the many years of his experience, has plenty of things he could come up here and say. Unfortunately, probably some of those people are in this room, so we can't say those. So we're going to use these here. These are things said to pastors. Are you ready? Here we go. We need a small group for cat lovers. That's, that's out there. All right. You need to change your voice. Now, I've, I've heard something similar to that. I, I, people have absolutely told me uh, how, how God did not bless me with the smooth tones of a Barry White or so, but, uh, but I haven't had change your voice. Here's one. Preachers who don't wear suits and ties aren't saved. It's in the Bible. So that's in somebody's Bible somewhere. I don't know what translation that is. I like this quote and I actually agree with it. We need to start attracting more normal people at church. I, I really wish, I wish we could fill this room with normal people, but we got you. All right. How about this one? We're leaving the church because you have a red cross on the building, and that's the color of the devil. And that's just, that's just truth right there. That's just someone who's read their Bible. Here we go. The toilet paper, someone said to the pastor, the toilet paper is on the wrong way in the ladies' restroom. It's supposed to be rolled under. All right, so first of all, that person's wrong, all right? It absolutely goes over the top. Well, what kind of, is that what the pastor does? I don't know. So, like, churches are messy because people are messy. Churches are filled with real people. And so the first week, we talked about our identity. We talked about who are we. We're never going to fit together if we don't know who we are individually. One of the things we talked about, the main thing we talked about, is that we are children of God. We've got that down pat. Last week, we talked about union, that we, if we're children of God, that means that we are in the family of God. And so we're united as a family together. And we talked about the fact that it is every single person's responsibility in this room to work towards preserving the unity of the church. It's that important for us. And so today we're going to look at something else. So we understand who we are. We understand that we're bound together. What marks us as an organization? What marks us as the church? What marks our actions, our vision, our, the, the things that we do as a church? What marks us? And so the sermon title today, if you're, if you're taking notes, I would entitle it House Rules, all right? I'd entitle it The House Rules. Now, if you, uh, if, if you grew up um, in, in, a, in a home that was somewhat organized, which I hope all of you did, then everybody's house has rules. Everybody grown up, all of your house had rules. You know that. Um, and just think about it. Think about the individual rules that you had as a kid. You had normal rules. You had curfew. You had, you can't say any wordy dirties, right? Like you, you had those types of rules. Think about your individual house rules. What was unique to your house? My dad really likes lions. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming he's never been chased by one. I guess that's, a, but, but he likes them and and he really likes to collect figurines, these lion figurines, and they're all, you know, glass and porcelain and um, really 
useless. So anyway, as a kid, we would see this big case of these lions, and there's nothing in the world I wanted more than to get them out of that case. Like, it would seem like this really cruel joke my dad had done where he'd taken these souls of lions and put them in glass glass little figurines and, and stowed them away, and I wanted to free them, and, and so I really, like, I just wanted to play with them more than anything in the world, but there was one house rule that would get you killed in my house. And that was opening the case of the lions. Like, don't go near the lions, which really is a good life lesson. I've learned that. Like, don't go near lions. If you ever see lions, don't go, don't let them out of their cage. That's actually a pretty good life lesson my dad taught me looking back on it. But that was one of our house rules. And in every house I've ever been in, we've had unique house rules that kind of defined our house, kind of shaped our house. When I was in college, I lived in, uh, in an apartment with some friends and we had house rules. There were absolutely things you did and you did do or did not do one of them was if you dirtied a dish you washed it immediately so as soon as like if you used a dish of any sort of pan or whatever you cleaned it immediately which that rule quickly led to only paper plates in our house like that was all we had were paper plates because I'm not cleaning anything after we threw away all of our all of our real plates we had to get paper plates um, or or even in my home now like we have we have rules that kind of define us like our kids are little and and so we have this rule the, first, the person who wakes up and hears the kids crying is the person who has to go up there and check on them. Now that rule's not, it's a little deceiving, it's a little deceptive because really what the rule is, the person who can lay still the longest <laughs> while their kids cry doesn't have to go upstairs. And so we do that, you know, you know what I'm talking about. We lay there and you kind of pretend like you're asleep. And then like you pretend like you stretch in your sleep and kind of kick them. You know what I mean? You kind of kick them. So the person who can lay there the longest. And that's a rule in our house. And we've come to accept that. And you know, all of the, your house rules, they really define your house. They mark your house. They shape um, what your house is about. It marks the behavior of your house. And we belong now to the household of God. We're going to look in Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to look at a few house rules today. What marks the house of God that we all belong to? So if you have a Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 5, a smartphone, you can get there, whatever, follow along. Uh, there should be some Bibles under your seats. If you'd like to use one, you can follow along there. Ephesians chapter Five. And before we even get to the house rules, I just want us to look at verse 1. It's Ephesians 5.1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. The point of these house rules we're looking at is to help us imitate God. It's to help us be more like God. And what's beautiful about this is we do this from a position of being beloved children. That's what it says. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. That means that we imitate God, not because we have to, but because we want to. We imitate God out of an affection for God. And you see that in children imitating their parents all the time. If I put a hat on my head, my youngest, my two-year-old will want a hat. He will come ask for a hat. Why? Because he loves his daddy. He wants to to be like his daddy. When I was growing up, I did the same thing with my dad. I wanted to listen to the music my dad listened to. I wanted to watch the movies that my dad watched, which caused some tension uh, in my in my marriage. Uh, when we first got married, the movies I wanted to watch were movies that, that I watched with my dad as a kid. And uh, my wife had never seen a movie in black and white. She thought something was wrong with the TV. And I was like, no, this is, this is actually how it's supposed to be. And I was like, this is actually one of my favorite movies. It's called 
arsenic and old lace. I love Cary Grant. Uh, it's a really, really great movie. What she's like, what's it about? And I was like, well, it's kind of hard to explain, but basically like he's got these ants and they're like, they're killing people, but it's fine because these guys are like old and they're lonely. So they're poisoning them. And, uh, and then they've got like a crazy, like, like there's like this crazy, um, uh, uh cousin, brother, whatever. And he thinks he's Teddy Roosevelt and he buries their bodies and they kind of get away with it. And like this killer shows up and she's like, this is a comedy. I was like, yeah, it's hilarious. It's really, really funny. Just a lot of old lady poisoning people. Uh, but anyway, I, I wanted to do all of that. I wanted to be like my dad. And it wasn't because someone was telling me. It wasn't because my mom was coming behind me and saying, you better be like your dad. That, in fact, she was saying the opposite. Don't be like your dad. But I didn't have to be told to be like my dad. I wanted to because I loved my dad. It's a place of affection in the same way. We want to be like God. We see him as valuable. We see him as better than everything else. But also, this wonderful thing about being a beloved child is that we imitate God. We keep these house rules not to be loved, but because we are loved. We don't do it to become a child of God. We do it because we are a child of God. And that's a wonderful place to come from. It's a place of security. And so I want you to know, like, as we, as we talk about these house rules, as we talk about these things that we should value as a church and that should absolutely uh, uh, be a, a mark of who we are and, and how we live and how we interact with our community, we do it from a place of security. We do it from, from a place of we are beloved children of God. We don't do this to become children of God. We are children of God. So as beloved children of God, we imitate God and we, we obey these house rules. Here they are. We got three house rules. One, walk in love. Two, walk is light. Three, walk wisely. We're going to see that here in Ephesians. And I want to give you a disclaimer. There's like, there's going to be a lot thrown at you today out of Ephesians chapter 5. And, and what I don't want you to do is to try to drink from the fire hose. But what I do want you to do is I want you to just, just ask the Lord right now in your seats. You don't have to say it out loud. You don't have to stand up and be like, Lord, speak to me. But I want you to ask right now, just in the quietness of your heart and mind, God, would you speak to me? I want to hear from you today. Because he's got something for you today. Otherwise, you wouldn't be sitting here. So ask the Lord, Lord, would you speak to me today? And just try to hold on to what he's going to give you. So the first one, let's look at the first rule. Walk in love. Walk in love. Um, look at verse 1 through 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The first thing we understand about walking in love is we have to love like Jesus. Jesus is our example of love. He sets the standard for what love looks like for us. And the first thing that we see in his standard of love is a sacrificial love. What does it say there? We walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. It's a sacrifice. It's a sacrificial love that we display towards people. So we sacrifice our money, our resources. We sacrifice sacrifice our comfort and our preferences. We sacrifice our pride for other people. And again, I love that picture of being a beloved child of God. I, I love that picture because as God chooses to relate to us, as a father relates to children, we can kind of understand this sacrificial love a little bit better as we think about how parents relate to their children, how they love them sacrificially. And, and I think about in my, in my own family, um, think about money. 
We sacrifice money for our children. The other day, I, I went to the mailbox and I got a check from a class action lawsuit that I didn't know I was in. Um, it had to do with a, a bank that I used to have a savings account with and somebody sued him or whatever. And so this check, I just had this check all of a sudden. And I was like, sweet. I was like, Apple's going to come out with those Bluetooth uh, ear, AirPods or whatever. And I don't have to ever listen to anybody anymore. And I can just like have them in my ears all the time. This is going to be fantastic. And then um, I never... Uh, Angela said she deposited the check, but the money was spent instantly, right? Immediately, instead of me getting AirPods, we signed all of our kids up for basketball. So it's another year of watching my kids run from one end of the court to the other. Um, So that's going to be really fun. But uh, we sacrifice that money. Like, it goes to them. We sacrifice our comfort and our preferences. I think about Angela was out of town this weekend, and uh, my oldest is a diabolical genius. And so uh, he likes to manipulate situations for himself. And so he realized that um, that big bed would just have me in it and he needs to find his way into it. And so um, the other night, I put them to bed, and uh, and and I decided to I decided to take a shower. Um, I knew I was going to have an early morning with them, and I was like, I don't know if I'm going to have a chance. So I decided to take a shower, and then I got in my bed to go to sleep, and uh, this little foot like kicked me, and uh, I was like, What in the world? And I like pulled the covers back, and he's under there, and he immediately like he looks at me, and then he's like, Oh no, I don't know if I'm in trouble or not. So he just plays dead. He just closed his eyes, and I was like. Max, and he just doesn't move. And I go, Max, and then he goes, he acts like he woke up. He goes, huh, what? Oh, hey, daddy. Like completely just, oh, hey, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm just going back to sleep now. And so he, he slept in my bed. So this whole weekend he slept in my bed. And he's six years old, and he's this big, and yet he can take up the entire mattress somehow, all right? Like he's a transformer. And you know what? That's fine. Like, I love my son. He wants to be down there with me. He can be down there with me. Now, did I sleep on the edge of the bed and hit my head on the nightstand twice last night? Yes, I did. But, but that's fine. He's my son. I love him. Uh, or, or we sacrifice our pride for our kids. Uh, my brother, a couple Christmases ago, my brother gives weird gifts. My twin brother. He gives really, really weird gifts. And usually he tries to find something that... Um, if I show people, I'll be embarrassed. And so he found this gift, and it was really for my kids, but it also embarrassed me, so it was a twofer. Um, it is called a daddle. Anybody know what that is? Anybody know what a daddle is? No, you don't. Don't lie. It is a saddle that, you, that a dad puts on his back, and then his kids ride him through the house. That's a real thing, and I have one if you want it. All right, so... So my brother, he's, he's like, call me when you get the package from Amazon. I want to be on the phone when you open it. And so I was like, all right, fine, whatever. And I'm thinking, this is going to be good. And I open up this daddle. And Drew's like, what do you think? And I was like, ah, you're breaking up. Uh, so anyway, have I worn it? Yes. I have worn that stupid daddle around the house. And I walk around. And I make the horsey noises. And, you know, like, I, I, and when, my, when my daughter tells me that I'm a pretty horsey, I say, thank you. I am a pretty horsey. But I, I do that because I love my kids. I'll sacrifice whatever it is to make them happy for their benefit. Absolutely. And, and Jesus sets this example for us, a love, a sacrificial love like this. And so the love we are to walk in, that's to mark us as believers, is to be willing to sacrifice all. Are we a people that are, that's willing to give up all for 
others? Would the Lord look at our church? Would he judge our church? And he would say, these people are loving sacrificially. These people are loving like Jesus has loved them. These people are willing to sacrifice all. And not only does Jesus show us a sacrificial love and we're to love like that, he also shows us a love that's indiscriminate. There are certain people for whom I'm ready to sacrifice. I will put a daddle on for my kids. I will not put a daddle on for you, all right? I, I, will, I will sacrifice uh, money for, uh, for my family, but I won't sacrifice money for everyone who comes up and walks to me. I will sacrifice for my friends. I'm ready to sacrifice for those who I, I really think are in need. I, there are people that I am ready to sacrificially love, but there are certain people that I'm not ready to sacrifice for. Those who have wronged me or been rude to me. Well, you know, they haven't given up anything for me. They've actually wronged me. Why should I give anything up for them? Or those who I've, I've judged as not worthy of my sacrifice or worthy of my love. But Jesus to sacrificial love is indiscriminate. I won't sacrifice for those who've been rude to me. Jesus gave his life for those who were nailing him to the cross. You didn't say hi to me this morning, so now I'm not gonna be loving towards you. Jesus gave his life for those who, who beat him with whips and ripped his beard out of his face. His love is indiscriminate. I won't sacrifice for those who I'm judged unworthy of my love and my sacrificial giving. Romans 5, 8 says Jesus died for us when we were still sinners. When there wasn't an ounce of us that deserved it, he still died for us. So Jesus kicks this example of love up a notch. He says, are we willing to sacrifice all for all? Is our love indiscriminate? Will we lovingly sacrifice for those we don't want to? Will we lovingly sacrifice for those who look different than us or come from different places or believe differently than we do? Are we going to sacrifice for those who have wronged us or are currently wronging us? Will we choose even in that moment to lovingly sacrifice for them? To walk in love, we must love like Jesus. And to walk in love, our love also must be pure. Look at verse three. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who's sexually immoral or impure or is, coveted, or is covetous, that's an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. Look at the sins there. Sexual immorality and impurity, covetousness, idolatry. These are sins relating to how we relate to one another. These are sins that are hateful because they use people. These sins disregard God's wisdom for them, disregards God's wisdom for how we treat them, and instead in turns makes them, turns them into objects for our gain. This love, or more accurately would be lust, is about your personal gain. What can you do for me? And that's not love. I mean, look at sexual immorality, hooking up with somebody. It's, it's just about the pleasure, not leading them toward God's best for them or pornography and lust. It's completely about what you get from them. We see in, in, in 1 Timothy, we're, we're to treat uh, uh, older women as mothers and younger women as sisters in all purity. Lust does the complete opposite of that. 
It says, I don't care if you're, if you're my mother, my sister. I don't care if you're my sister in Christ. I don't, care. I don't care who you are. I don't care who you belong to. I don't care that you aren't mine. I don't care that I don't care anything about you. I care about what you can give to me. And that's the opposite of the love that God is calling to. With covetousness, it's the same way. I see what you have and I want it and I'm bitter towards you because you have it and I don't have it. I'm not happy for you. I'm not gonna celebrate with you. Instead, I'm gonna be bitter because I want it. Your job, your position, your authority, that relationship. It's not about them. It's about what they can give to you. And this way of relating to people treats them like a commodity. It makes us say, what can I gain? But that's not the love that God is asking us to have. That is not the purity of love that God wants us to have. Not at all asking what can I gain, but instead what can I give? That's the love that God has laid out for us. What can I give to you? Our love must be so pure that we don't use people. We're not looking for anything from people. We're looking to serve people. How can I give back to you? Is that our mindset? when we encounter one another? Is that our mindset as a church when we encounter our community? Not what can you give back to us? What can you give back to me? But what can we give to you? Not, not what, what can we give to you and you'll give back to us. What, what, not some sort of trade, not some sort of profit, but purely what can I give to you? And that's imitating God, willing to sacrifice all for all. And we need to be a people marked by that sacrificial love who are always asking that question, what can I give? Jesus gave all, what can I give? So house rule number one, you walk in love. House rule number two, you walk as a light. Walk as a light. Look there in verse eight. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So we are now, it says here, we are the light in the Lord. This isn't the first time we've been called the light. Jesus said it in Matthew five fourteen. He says, you are the light of the world. In verse 16, he says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. As we imitate God with these good works that he's given us, as we imitate God and and we're obedient to God, our lives should be like light in the darkness. They should be such a stark contrast to what everyone else is experiencing in the world. It's like light in darkness. Are, are you getting that picture there? Let me give you a better one. You ever been in a dark movie theater and then someone does something uh, that I think should be punishable as a federal crime? They, they, they talk on their cell phone or they text or whatever and that bright iPhone screen just kind of hits you right in the eyeball and you're like, I paid for this movie and that's what I'm talking about. That stark contrast contrast of light in darkness. The way that we live, the way that when we obey the Lord and the good works that we do, because we're obeying the Lord as we imitate God, they should be like light in the darkness. That deep, deep contrast, that glaring contrast. The humility and the kind way we respond to people speaking against us or harming us should be like light in the darkness. The grace-filled way that we talk about and even disagree about politics should be so glaring 
glaringly different from the rest of the world, that it is light in the darkness. Our humble and grace-filled response to people hurting in the LGBTQ community should be so different than everyone else in the city of Memphis that it's glaringly obvious that it is light in the darkness. Our courageous approach to racism should look so different and so out there to the way the rest of the world is approaching it that it would be like light in the darkness. Our sacrifices for the needs of others and our generosity towards other people should be so glaringly different that it's like light in the darkness. We are the light of the world. Our good work should be a bright light in a dark, dark place. So do we stand out as light in darkness or do we blend in? And so as light, we also expose the darkness. Look there in verse 11. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it's shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Have you ever been in pitch black darkness? Like pitch black darkness. You can't see your hand in front of your face. What is it? It's, it's disorienting. It's, it's frightening. You, you don't know what's around you. You can't see the dangers around you. Um, I, one time I was on a, uh, my wife and I, we got to go on a cruise. And one night we were on this cruise ship and um, there is no moon and it's cloudy. And it is just dark out there. The only light that we see is light reflecting off of the water back from the ship. So from the ship on the water back into our faces. That's the only light that we can see. We're like this glowing, just like orb in the middle of just blackness. Have you ever been out there? Have you ever been on the water in, in, in darkness in times like that? It's terrifying. I can't see anything. I read this sailor's account about being out in the middle of the ocean on a dark, dark night like that. And he said all he could pray over and over again in his head was Genesis 1. Let there be light. That's all he kept saying. God, please let there be light. We want the light there. And and I think that when I think about being the light in the darkness, one of the things that comes to my mind is the lighthouse. That, that pops in my head, like that, that picture pops in my head. And, and maybe that was in Paul's head here as he's writing to the Ephesians. I mean, the city of Ephesus was a port city. Surely they had a lighthouse. Maybe he's even seen it. Maybe he's been near it. I, I don't know. Or maybe he was thinking about this, this, the lighthouse of Alexandria, which was one of the, the seven wonders of the ancient world. And it was 450 feet tall. And, and, it, and it had this, this incredible bronze, uh, uh, polished bronze, like, circle mirror type thing that would reflect the fire and make it a beam that they could just shoot out into the darkness over the ocean. And, and it's said that it, it might have even been able to be seen from a hundred miles away. I don't know if that's true, but it's a bright, bright light just piercing that darkness. And what does darkness do? When, we're, when you're out there on the ocean and you're in the darkness or you're, you're in your, your room, you wake up in the middle of the night and everything's dark, what does darkness do? It, it hides things. It masks what's true. It masks what's really there. And what does the, the lighthouse do? It reveals the things that are hidden. That light pierces through the darkness of that ocean and it reveals what's hidden. You get to see what's all around you. You get to see what's real. 
And that's not what darkness wants. Again, darkness wants to mask what's real. No one follows in the darkness because they think it's going to be harmful. No one says, I'm going to do this. I hope it really turns out poorly for myself. I'm going to do this. I really hope I, I get up, get my heart broken. Like no one does those things. People follow the darkness because they believe it will get them where they want. They're lost. I mean, they're arrogant because they believe that they'll be happy when they get what they want from their arrogance and their job. They hold grudges because they don't know that they have a choice to let it go. They ignore God because they think that they're on the path that's going to lead them to happiness. And when we live by the wisdom of God, it can cut through their darkness and show them a better way. It can show them what's real. It can show them what real joy looks like, real happiness looks like. I have a friend of mine who's not a believer, and uh, he, said, he said to me one time, I don't believe um, the Bible. I don't believe what you say is true about Jesus. But here's what he said. I can't deny the joy that I see in your family. I can't deny what, what your wife and you are, are showing me all the time. You're showing me this joy and you're showing me this happiness and you're showing me this peace. And, and although I don't think these other things are real, I can't deny that that's real. And I can't deny that I want it. And I can't deny that everything I've done in my life, I, that's what I'm trying to get to. And for some reason, I'm not getting there, but you're there. Now, I didn't preach to him and, and, and I'm not the, the best man who's ever lived. That's certainly not true. But here's the point. As my wife and I just enjoyed the Lord together and as we were faithful to the Lord together, as he gave us the ability to do so, our good works were like a lighthouse piercing the darkness of his life. Our good works were revealing that this path that you're on is not leading you where you think it's leading you. This path that you're on is not guiding you home to safety. It's leading you to another heartache and another heartache. Our good works, God used it again like a light in the darkness, like a lighthouse, guiding him towards where true joy could be found. And in our words and our actions as a church and a community of faith, we're to be a shining light in a dark world, revealing what's real. We're to walk in love. We're to walk as light. Finally, the house rule number three, we walk wisely. Look there in verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So we're gonna look here, look at a few characteristics of walking wisely. What does it look like to walk wisely? Well, number one, don't waste time. Don't waste time. The beauty of this church, one of the things I love about Christ Church is, um, is how different people are here, uh, that we have people from all different walks of life. We have people who are uh, uh, really young, and we have people who are Brother John. So anyway, we have, uh, we have all kinds of different people here, different walks of life. And Brother John always jokes with me. He always, you know, if I ever make fun of him, he always reminds me, you know, I was your age once. Like, one day you're going to get old, right? And then I'm like, yeah, but you won't be around to see it. But no, anyway, he says... He always reminds me, one day, one day you're going to get old. He told me, he told, he told me, you know, your experiences change as, as you get older. And he gave me, he told me a story or a, a conversation he overheard on a bus trip. It was quite different than, than I might've heard on a bus trip I've taken with students. He said, these two ladies were talking. One of them turned to the other one and said, uh, is that a, is that a new piece of jewelry? Is that a new locket? And she said, yes, yes it is. And she said, do you have a memento in there? You know, uh, something personal to you, something to remember, remember somebody by. And, and, and she said, well, actually, yeah. 
yes, it's a lock of my husband's hair. And she said, wait a second, your husband's still alive. And she goes, yeah, but his hair's gone. Uh, so <laughs> so we're, we're different. We're really different. But here's the thing. When we walk wisely, we recognize that no matter where we are in life, no matter how long we've lived or haven't, no matter what experiences we, we have or have not had, wherever we are, God is sovereign and he has work for us as the light of the world to do. And we don't waste it. We don't waste it. So whether you're still at school or whether you're in a job that you hate or love or you're sick or you're healthy or you're new in town or you're a teenager uh, or, or, you're, or you're tired or you're just getting started, whatever it is, the wise don't waste their time. The wise realize that every moment is a moment that God has given us right now to honor him. He's given us right now to be the light right where we are. No matter where you are, he's given you that Purpose. There's this book called Don't Waste Your Life um, written by John Piper. I just want to read you a quote from it. He says this, I'll tell you what a tragedy is. I'll show you how to waste your life. Consider a story from the February 1998 edition of Reader's Digest, which tells about a couple who, quote, took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now, they live in Florida where they cruise on their, in their 30-foot uh, trawler playing softball and collecting shells. At first when I read it, I thought it might be a joke, a spoof on the American dream, but it wasn't. Tragically, this was the dream. Come to the end of your life, your one and only precious God-given life, and let the last great work of your life before you give an account to your creator be this playing softball and collecting shells. Picture them before Christ at the great day of judgment. Look, Lord, see my shells? That's a tragedy. And people today are spending billions of dollars to persuade you to embrace that tragic dream. Over and against that, I put my protest, don't buy it. Don't waste your life. The wise make the best use of the time God has given them. Are you making the best use of your time? No matter where you are, Maybe you're in a good time. Maybe you're in a bad time. This is a time that the Lord is still sovereign over, still in control over. Has, are you making the best use of your time? Ask yourself these questions. What are you giving to others? Ask yourself this question. Who are you investing your life into? Who this year will know the Lord better because of you? Who this year will love the Lord better because of their relationship with you? Who are you investing in? Don't waste your life. This, the second way to walk wisely is we, we understand the will of the Lord. Look at verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. One of the things I love is that as believers, we don't have to sit around and talk about and guess on what we think the will of the Lord is. I love that we have the word of God, don't you? I love that we have the revealed word of God written there for us that we can look at and we can see. And so wise people, people who walk in wisdom are people who regularly study, meditate on and apply God's word to their life. You wanna walk in wisdom? You study, meditate on and apply the word of God to your life. I, I uh, recently had a conversation with a, with a man who came to me and said, you know, I've really been struggling with some things in my life. I don't really know what the Lord wants me to do. I've got all these different directions. I don't, I don't really know how to respond to this or how to respond to that. And, and so I just started asking him questions. And I said, well, um, how much have you been in the word of God lately? And he said, what do you mean? And I said, well, how, how much have you, have you read God's word lately? And, and he said, well, I, I read it Sunday. And I said, 
okay, well, that's good. Uh, when did you read it the rest of the week? He goes, no, no, no. I, I mean, like, during the sermon, you asked us to open our Bible, so I did, and I, and I read it. And I said, what about the rest of the week? And he said, no, I don't, I don't regularly read, read my Bible. I, I mean, I come to church, and, and I listen, and, and that's like, no wonder you're lost. That's like traveling through uncharted territory seven days a week, but for an hour, once a week, you listen to someone else read the map to you, right? Like God has given us this incredible guidebook, this incredible, this incredible revealed will of his in the word of God. And if we want to walk wisely, we should study it and we should apply it to our lives. When I think about the biggest, the most foolish mistakes of my life, those periods of my life where I just I just really uh, bit it over and over again. Those are periods of my life where I was not spending time in the word of God like I should have. I was not spending time with him. I was not spending time thinking about how does this apply to my life? How can my life look different today because I've met with you today? So are you regularly spending time reading and applying God's word? That's one of the ways we walk wisely. And, And thirdly and lastly, the way we walk wisely is we're filled with the spirit. Look at verse 18. Don't get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This picture of being drunk on wine is just simply being controlled by something. Um, we went to, last Thursday night, we, uh, my wife and I got to go to the Titans game, Thursday night football, go Titans, they won, and uh, we had a really, really good time. Well, uh, towards the end of the game, we looked over here, and there were two men uh, who apparently had a much better time than we had. And uh, they were controlled by not the spirit, but spirits. And uh, they started like yelling at each other and really getting into it and just threatening one another. And then out of nowhere, there were just a just a, a perimeter of police just surrounding them. Now, what would be your response? You're arguing with somebody and a bunch of police show up. I mean, a bunch of police show up and they're like, hey, you need to cut it out. What would be your response? My response as sober Grant would be, absolutely, sir. So sorry. Thank you for your service. I'll be over here if you need me, right? What was their response? They were not in their right mind. They were controlled by this substance they put in their body. And so then they turn to the police and they're like, what you got, big man? Right? So then they start yelling at everybody around them. It was an incredible picture. But that's what the scripture is talking about. Don't be controlled by anything else. Don't have anything else calling the shots. Let the spirit of God call the shots because the wise are filled with the spirit. And you say, how do I become filled with the spirit? Is there, is there some machine outside? Like, what do I need to do here? Here it is. One of the blessings of spending time with God, of meditating on his word and applying it to, his, to your life and spending time talking to him and praising him and thanking him. One of the blessings and the giant benefits of that is that God will pour out his spirit on you. You will have the spirit of God in you. And you might ask, like, how do I know if I'm regularly relying on the Spirit of God? How do I know if that's a regular part of my life? Like, I don't feel any special tingling when the Spirit of God comes over me. Well, he actually gives us examples here. One indicator, look at verse 19, is singing praises. Are you regularly blessing the Lord? Do songs of praise just spill out of you? Now, I don't mean you're like at work and you're in a meeting and you're like, yeah, we got the quarterly reports. Oh, praise God from whom. I don't mean that. But what I mean is that 
You have a heart that's regularly just wanting to praise the Lord. Is that coming out of you? And then one indicator is, is giving thanks in Ephesians 5, 20. Are you thankful to the Lord? There's this lady in our church. I love to talk to her. Whenever I talk to her and I'm telling her about stuff going on in my life, I'm telling her about good things going on. You know what she's saying? She's audibly out loud. She can't help it. She's just going, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. For, thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you, Lord. And, and why? Because she's filled with the Spirit. She's so connected to God that she has this heart of gratitude. She can't hold it in. Is that you? Are you marked in that way? Another way of, of being marked by the Spirit of God is, is submitting to one another. There in verse 21, Genesis 3 shows us that one of the consequences of sin and the fall is that we, it's a power struggle between us. And we see that in our relationships. There's always a power struggle. And one of the ways of being marked by the Spirit is to submit to the authority that God's put over us. It's to say, you know what, God, I trust you. And you know what? It doesn't matter if this person is perfect. It doesn't matter if they deserve my submission. God, I will gladly give it under authority to you because I trust you. So being filled with the Spirit is one of the ways we walk wisely. So I'm going to ask the band up. We're going to close and, and sing again together. And, you know, every time we talk about a successful church, we always go to Acts chapter 2. Why? Because they, they followed these house rules. Like they walked in love and they walked wisely and they walked as the light. But you know, I think about churches you know now. Think about churches now that are, that are seeing lives change and they're, and they're growing. There are people coming together in communities of faith that are affecting the communities around them. I think it's true for them too. Their communities marked by walking in love and walking by the Spirit and, uh, and, and walking as a light and walking wisely. And I, I hope that for our church, we would take that in today. We'd take that challenge. We would examine ourselves honestly and we would want to be described in the same way. So are you walking in love? Are you willing to sacrifice all for all? Maybe there's someone you need to go out of here today and sacrifice for and to show love to. Are you walking as the light? Is there a, is there a place of disobedience that you need to deal with? Because you're not in line with what God has for you. Are you walking wisely? Are you making the best use of the time the Lord has given you? Let me, let me pray for us. Lord, I, I thank you for our church and I thank you for the work that, that you want to do in our church. Um, I thank you, Lord, that uh, you haven't called us and, and then expected us to just figure it out. God, you're giving us your word. You're giving us um, this understanding here, Lord, of, of clearly what we should be doing, that we should be marked by love, by sacrificial love, like your love for us. We should be um, marked by, by good works, that we would be lights in a dark, dark place. Um, Lord, that we should walk wisely. We should be careful in how we walk, Lord, lining our lives up with what you have for us in your word. God, would you help us all strive to be that and help us as a community strive to be that, that we would be marked by these house rules and that, Lord, we would see incredible things happen through, uh, through these, uh, this obedience to these rules. So, Lord, this morning as we continue to worship, as we continue to cry out to you, um, Lord, my prayer is that Whatever we need to do to respond to what we've heard today, we do it. Maybe some of us need to just sing as loud as we can. Lord, give us the, the courage to do that. Give us the, the prompt us to respond to you in that way. Maybe some of us need to come for prayer. Then prompt us to do that. Maybe some of us need to surrender our lives to you today. You know who you are. 
You need to stop living for yourself and, and you need to ask for God's forgiveness and ask for this fresh start and he will gladly give it to you. That's why Jesus died on the cross for that moment, for this moment, for you today, that you would give up living for yourself and that you would surrender it all to him. And the scripture says that whosoever will shall come. He will gladly embrace you and give you a fresh start and forgive you and make you his child now and forever. Maybe that's you. Maybe you need to come forward so we can pray with you. But Lord, would you use this time however you want to use it. May our response to you be appropriate. May our response to you um, put a smile on your face. We thank you for your love for us. Thank you, Lord. Be honored in this time. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.